It's one of the most powerful books I've ever read. Hundred Bible verses that made America written by the same gentleman who uh, gave us Red Sea Rules. I hope this week to order a number of copies of these and then encourage you to purchase them. I've given them to seven or eight of our members, uh, and I have just reread it to touch deeply by it. In uh, one of the sections of this book, the Founding Fathers wrote, Had there been no Bible, the nation would not have been born as it was. Perhaps it would not have been born at all. And then the Founding Fathers said, If it were not for the people's prayers, none of what we have in this country would exist. And then the ominous words, If there ever comes a time when God's people stop praying, then this will cease to be. The sermon is entitled, These Men Knew How to Pray. 1 John 5.14, If we ask anything according to God's will, God hears us. The miracles that I mentioned last week, what preceded the miracles? What preceded the waters of the Red Sea opening? A one man, Moses, praying. What preceded the multiplication of the loaves and the fish? The very Son of God praying for God to bless, and then God comes with that miracle. You look at virtually every miracle done in the Bible, it is always precipitated by prayer. The ones I mentioned in my own life, the license plate there, be still the first day of John's treatments for cancer. What precipitated that miracle of that license plate prayer? As I'm sitting in my car, I'm praying all the way to the University of Chicago, and as we get out of the car, I'm praying, Lord, bless these treatments for John that he might have many years left on this earth. And when we step out of that car after that prayer, there's a license plate. What do I gather from that? God has listened to the prayer, and he has answered rather quickly and rather significantly. The near accident that I talked to you about there on Briggs Road in Joliet, when I make a turn to the left and I fail to look to the right, and here comes the pickup truck, 80 miles an hour, and he stops an inch away from the car. What precipitated the miracle? It's my prayer in that car, Lord, protect my family because I'm not going to survive this. Protect my family. And no sooner does the prayer leave my lips than that miracle occurs. And the man driving in the pickup truck, he says, there's no way I can stop in time. This is going to be horrendous. I close my eyes, I say, help me, God, and I put my foot on the brake. And when I open my eyes, what precipitates miracles on this earth? What precedes them? Most often, your prayers. And it is God's way of saying when His children pray to Him, He hears, and he answers. Heaven forbid you have a mom or a dad who when you talk to them, they turn their shoulder and walk the other way. just doesn't happen. just doesn't happen. 
If you're a child three years of age, if you're a teenager 17 years of age, if you're a grown adult at 42 years of age, there's no greater honor, I think, than a parent has than when their child uh, beckons for their attention. This is God up in heaven. No greater joy does God have, or else he wouldn't say over and over again in the Bible, I should have Googled it, how many times does the word prayer be mentioned? It is mentioned all over from Genesis to Revelation. It touches the heart of God when his children say, God, I want to come and speak to you. The people who have left the deepest impression in this world have been those men and women who knew how to pray and were not afraid to pray. The people who have left the deepest impression in the hospitals where you work, the metro trains you take, the business that you go to, the church and school that you belong to, the men and women who make the deepest difference in those places are the men and women who know how to pray and are not afraid to pray. They leave the deepest marks in this world, in in your life and in mine. Matthew 7, 7, who spoke the words? Did Matthew write them? No. Did Luke say the words? Did the Apostle Paul? Did Moses? Did Isaiah? No, Jesus said these words. He said, ask and it will be given you. Who are you supposed to ask? Supposed to ask of God, that's the whole point of it. Ask and it shall be given you. Ask of God and it shall be, how do you ask God? How do you ask Him? How do you, how do you dial up God? How do you email God? How do you send God text messages? You know the answer. It's called prayer. Jesus said at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I got to get this in here because it's really, really, really important because you can't do any of the former stuff unless the thing that I say at the end actually happens in your life. Ask of God in prayer and you'll receive. He doesn't stop there. He says, seek and ye shall find. What are you supposed to seek? You seek about anything. Lord, am I to continue this relationship? Lord, should I get out of this relationship? Lord, which school should I go to this fall? Lord, should I take this job that I'm being offered, or should I stay here in Tinley Park with a job I currently have? I don't care what you're seeking, whether it's the smallest thing in the world, or whether it's the largest thing in your life in quite some time. Seek of God in prayer, and you'll find. We had a couple of teachers, of our teachers, the last couple of months who had calls to other places. And they're sitting there praying to God, God, give me some direction here. Give me some direction. Where am I supposed to serve you? But guess what? It happens all the time to every one of us. I don't know if you should pray to God about whether you should buy this dress or that dress, okay? But in most areas of life, relationship or health or finances or job, seek and ye shall find. And if you don't seek, what do you do? You sit and worry about it a lot. You sit and are filled with fear because you don't know what direction to take. And all you have to do is lift up those hands, not to your earthly father or your earthly mother. You're lifting them up to God, 
who creates this universe, that power, who sends his son to die on that cross, that love, and the wisdom. I still can't get over 60,000 miles of blood vessels in my body. I still can't get over that one. That's who you're seeking from. You think he's got any problem figuring out what the best direction is for you? Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. If someone comes into your house, unbeknownst to you, uh, they better be your family or they better be friends. Josh and Rachel and the grandkids, they don't have to knock on the door or ring the doorbell to come marching in. And we do the same with them in New Lenox. Next door neighbor, Mike and Lisa Otto, they, they, they got full access to the house. They can come and go whenever they want. But if you're not family or friends, you better ring that doorbell before you come into someone's house. Why does God say knock? Why don't we just have free access to him? You know that you do, right? You have free access to him. But when he says knock, he's saying, I want you to understand that when you and I are conversing, this is a sacred moment in your life. Sacred moments are what? Birth of children. Sacred moments are what? When God puts a man and a woman together and they get married. Sacred moments in life. Every time you open up this book, consciously doing so, it's a sacred moment. You're in the presence of God. And whenever you come to Him in prayer, you cannot open His book when you're driving the car, but you can come into His presence with prayer, and that is a sacred moment. He doesn't ask you to take off your sandals. You're walking on holy ground. But he asks you to understand what you're doing. James 1, verse 6. When you pray, do not doubt. When you pray, do not take it lightly. When you pray, do not flip a coin and say, I got a 50-50 chance of this reaching the ears of God and it actually happening. James 1, 6. When you pray, do not doubt. If you doubt, you're like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. Understand that when you pray to God, you are in his holy presence and you're thinking of creation and the cross and his wisdom. Prayer. It can move and change the heart of God. That's how powerful it is. It can move and change the heart of God. You know, the story of Abraham, two angels come. Abraham prays before he visits with the angels. He doesn't know they're angels until a little bit later. The angels say to him, the two strangers say to him, we're going into Sodom and Gomorrah. God is going to destroy the city. Abraham says, what? My nephew Lot lives there. He says to the two strangers, if there are 50 people righteous in this city, will God destroy the city? No, God will not destroy the city. 40, 30, 20, 10. And when Abraham says, if there's 10 righteous in this city, will God spare the city? And the angels in communication with God said to him, God will spare the city. It is an episode in the Bible where the heart of God was moved, was changed. The episode in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 10, 
They are fighting against the enemy. They are running out of time. They ask God for a miracle. That is the episode in the Bible where God actually stops the sun from moving. So they have extra daylight hours to finish the battle. The heart of God was moved. The direction of nature itself is changed. Prayer not only moves the heart of God, it can move and change the heart of men. You have a story in the Bible where uh, Jacob steals Esau's birthright, and Esau swears that the next time he sees Jacob, he will kill him. Jacob, you know, goes to another land. He's there for 14 years, and God says it's time to go back, and, and he says, I can't go back. Esau will kill me. God says, it's time to go back. You have to trust me. And he begins to pray. Jacob begins to pray. Change the heart of Esau. I know that he'll kill me when he sees me. Change the heart of Esau. And as he's praying, he doesn't believe it can happen. He has such little faith that God can change the man's heart that he takes his property and his family and he divides them in half. He sends half that way and half that way. So if he is destroyed, at least half of what he has and half of his family will remain alive. He is standing there. He knows that Esau is coming. And he prays to God one more time, Grant me the greatest miracle that you can ever grant me in my life. Grant me the change of the heart of Esau. And Esau comes running to him, not with a sword in his hand, comes running to him with his arms outstretched, and he embraces Jacob. And Jacob weeps because he knows his prayer has changed the heart of Esau. I've told you many, many times that I never make a call, not even after 43 years in the ministry. I never make a call, not in the hospital, not in a hospice situation, not in a... Paul, you should stop by this person's house. You haven't seen him in a while. I never make a call on anybody without praying in the car as I'm driving there, praying as I go up to the house. There have been many times when I've prayed, God, I don't want to make this call. I do not want to make this call. I just want to get in the car, go back. I don't want to make this call. Lord, you have to change the environment that I'm going to enter, or else this will never work. And I can't tell you the number of times that I enter a situation, and when I step in, there is a peace that I could never imagine. Whether it's someone who's just lost a baby, whether it's someone that I've been in conflict with, whether it's been someone that I've offended, or they've offended me. How many times in my ministry have I asked God to change the circumstance that I'm about to enter? And when I entered, 99% of the time, I knew God had come into that room before I did. Told you the story. It's been about 10 years. Tom Leahy, 
Wife calls me, Payless Hospital. I just came here like 30 years ago. And she calls me and she says, you have to come right away. My husband has a cancerous tumor right next to his heart. And he will die unless they operate. And if they operate, he'll die. And fortunately, I was able to come right away. And I went in there and I talked with her before I did. And she said, Pastor, I want you to pray for his healing. I said to her, you know what the doctors have said. There's there's little chance, Marlene. She said, I didn't ask for your opinion. <laughs> I asked you to pray for his healing. And so I did by his bedside. Lord, you have the power to make this tumor disappear. You have the power when they go to Northwestern Hospital. You have the power to have someone there with the skill to be able to operate. Lord, give him 20 more years on this earth. They brought a helicopter from Northwestern. They put him in that helicopter, flew him up to Northwestern. She called me at 5 o'clock that evening. She said, Pastor... They had the x-rays from Palitz Hospital. They took more x-rays up there at Northwestern. And when they took their x-rays up there, there was no tumor. Tumor's gone. It's on the x-rays from Palitz. But the x-rays they took at Northwestern, the tumor is gone. Tom lived another 22 years. Cancer took him but there was never a moment in his life that he didn't say the prayer for healing. And from that moment on, he was a changed person. Not timid in his faith anymore. Not when you have a story like that to share. Prayer has great power. Walls of Jericho, 28 feet high, 13 feet thick. Joshua is standing in front of those walls. One tiny prayer, and the walls come crashing down. I like First uh, Timothy 4.8, okay? Physical training is of some value, okay? I like that because I like physical training. Physical training is of some value. Spiritual training is of greater value. All right? Here's the explanation. Physical training, you can lift a 100-pound weight. Spiritual training, you can move mountains. Physical training, you can put 250 pounds on a sled and you can push it, build up the leg muscles. Spiritual training, you can move mountains. So it says, Jesus' words, Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith as small as a 10-inch bicep, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move, and it'll move. What is he saying? How do you say to a mountain, move? You say it through prayer. Do you pray to the mountain? Do you pray to the mountain, move? You pray to God, and he moves the mountain. What is your mountain? I know mine. 
Your mountain might be your besetting sin when you were three or four years of age. Your mom or dad already knew what they were going to have to pray about for you. They already knew what you were going to be like and what your areas of struggle were going to be. Your grandma and grandpa saw it too, and they started praying in that particular arena. You know what your mountain is. For so many of you, it's fear and worry. You just say, man, you know, my, my dad was a worrier. I just inherited that from him. You know what your mountain is. For some, it's jealousy. For some, it's hatred. For some, it can be the brightest day ever, and you'll find something wrong with it. You know what your mountain is. And Jesus said, say to the mountain, pray to God, move, and the mountain will move. In this book, closing words, General Patton, a tough and mean a dude as you'll ever find, December 14th, 1944, he asked the army chaplain to come into his office. And he said to the chaplain, sit down for a moment. I want to talk with you about this matter of prayer. And then he said, I'm a strong believer in prayer. There are three ways that men accomplish what they desire. One is by planning, and no one plans better than I do. One is by working, and no soldier works harder than they do for me. And the third way they accomplish what they desire is by praying. Any great military operation takes planning and thinking and working. But the most important thing that will spell defeat or victory, success or failure, the most important thing is calling upon God in prayer. Up to now, God has been good to us. We've never retreated. We've suffered no defeat, no famine, no epidemics. But we shall not win this war unless we pray to God to be with us. And then he told the chaplain, I will give you ten minutes to write a prayer. And the prayer you write, I will send to 250,000 soldiers under my command. And they will pray this prayer. Pray when driving, pray when fighting, pray when you're alone, pray with others, pray by night and pray by day, pray without cessation. This army needs the assurance and the faith that God is with us. And with prayer, you cannot fail. General George Patton. I close with Martin Luther's words. Martin Luther said, Prayer is the very first sign of spiritual life. It is also the means of maintaining spiritual life. Man cannot live physically without breathing, nor can he live spiritually without praying. Luther went on, There is a class of animals, neither fish nor fowl, that inhabits the deep waters of the ocean. It is their home. They never leave it for shore. And yet, though they swim beneath its waters... 
They need to rise ever and again to the surface that they might breathe air. And if they do not rise to the surface, they shall die. It is a physical necessity imposed upon them by God himself. Prayer is a spiritual necessity imposed on us by God, and we cannot live, we cannot move, we cannot have our life without prayer. Rachel said, give me children or I'll die. Let me breathe, a man gasping says, or else I'll die. The Christian says, let me pray or else I'll die. Someone leaving the 8 o'clock service said, we, sang, we sing Faith of Our Fathers every year we have ever since you came here. But as I look at the third stanza, and we are singing, Lord, deliver us from war's alarm, and deliver us from deadly pestilence, that individual said it has a brand new meaning as we sing it now. Maybe that's why God wanted me to share this 4th of July weekend, the great necessity of prayer for government, for media, for wars, for Russia, for Ukraine, for politics. My goodness gracious. Ask and you shall receive. In our Lord's name, amen. Heavenly Father, bless the power of your word and the promises therein. May they find root in our hearts, and we may we bear the fruit of prayer. Peace within us, not fear or worry, but peace within us. And then the power of understanding the power of prayer that leads us to bring those prayers to the throne of your grace, fully believing that when the prayer reaches your heart, you will hold it in your hands, and according to your divine will and purpose, you will accomplish the will of God in the life of your children. Such things we ask in his name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.